0: Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Hello, listeners, I am thrilled you're here today. And I'm wondering if you're like me and if you've ever imagined what it would be like to work inside the finest restaurants in the world. Well today, we welcome Michelin-starred pastry chef Monique Chan. She graduated valedictorian of her Parisian pastry school, worked in renowned bakeries, five-star, and palace hotels. And today in particular, she's giving us a first-hand look inside two of the most famous restaurants in the world. At the French Laundry in California, which Anthony Bourdain declared the best restaurant in the world, period, Monique was tasked with the all-important chocolate station and granted creative freedom to completely redesign their bonbon menu. From there, Monique moved to Hong Kong, which was a homecoming of sorts for this daughter of two immigrants to the U.S. from Hong Kong. Monique was part of the startup team, launching Equature with the immediate goal of achieving two Michelin stars, a goal which they achieved in a record-breaking seven months. And as fascinating as this look inside restaurants will be, I promise you will be most captivated by Monique's humility and vulnerability. We explore the spiritual journey that accompanied the journey of her career, as well as her most recent efforts to raise money for racial justice through her bakery, Shea Momo. And finally, look out for a bonus episode this Friday, where we explore the uneasy relationship between creativity and productivity. Thank you, every single listener, for being here. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to get the bonus episode and all the amazing interviews we have coming up. And welcome, Monique. Hey, Monique. Hi, Becky. How are you? Can Hi. you hear me? I hear you great. Yes, you sound amazing on your new microphone. Obviously, you, I feel like you're like this nomad or gypsy in the most beautiful way. Like you clearly just have this fiercely independent, adventurous spirit. You travel all over the world. And I was so drawn to that when I found you on Instagram. And what was really interesting to me is I noticed that the first thing in your bio, is this mm-hmm. verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which I happen to know what it was. And it's actually about, about a journey <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the way you journey through life. And it was so interesting to me that you had that in your bio. So I, I'm i curious to know about your philosophy towards life, about taking like these, just wherever your heart leads you, and also why you have this verse in your bio and how that integrates into your philosophy of life. Does that question make sense?
1: Yeah, totally. And that's a great question. Mm. And I feel like you might be able to relate because are you a perfectionist?
0: I have a question. Yes, although if you look at my croissant photos, I do not often achieve perfection. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I was actually just looking at them before I hopped on the call. They look wonderful. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. <laughs> um, so, I take comfort in knowing that you kind of understand where I'm coming from mm. because I am a hardcore perfectionist, mm. which um I realize a lot of chefs are. And so understandably, I love to feel like I have control. But just going through life, especially in my younger 20s, there were a fair amount of times that the future just couldn't have felt more opaque. And Mm. the door for whatever I was wanting so badly in that moment just wouldn't open.
0: Mm. And
1: because my like personal brand of anxiety is directly tied to my compulsion to do or to exert control over my situation, this mm-hmm. verse in particular brings me a lot of comfort and peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to say that I struggle, you know, to to let it reassure me. I have to struggle to remind myself of that. Mm-hmm. But what I find helps me a lot is to reflect retrospectively because I'm always astounded by how, blessed I've been with things that I hadn't even asked for. um, Mm. I hadn't even imagined. Mm. And maybe to give a concrete example, let's get into the meaty stuff, you know, right away. (laughs) Um, When I went to Paris for pastry school, it was with a very headstrong intention of moving there permanently Mm. for reasons which we can maybe go into later. Mm. I really wanted nothing to do with home and my family. I was in a way running away. Mm -hmm. And so I left and I I remember telling my mom, like, I'm never coming back in my very immature, (laughs) Mm. immature way. And when I went to Paris, I loved it. I was living my best life. And part of my schooling was this internship and it was for six months and near the end of it, the sous chef took a position as an executive pastry chef in another five-star hotel. And he invited me to join his team. And I thought this was my dream coming true. I thought I was manifesting my destiny. Like I could permanently (laughs) be in France and become a citizen and all of that. Mm. But after months of waiting for my visa to process, talking to the lawyer that I had been set up with um, the whole time, something just didn't quite feel right. And I couldn't Mm. get any transparency. So I went to the immigration department myself one day and I I asked to see my file. Mm -hmm. And I found out that the company actually had never even filed an application for my working visa. Mm. And in that moment, all of my dreams, all of my Mm. hopes and aspirations came crashing down. Mm. And I think I was able to hold in my tears until I was at least on the metro, like all the way home. That was probably the first time that I hopefully, I think first and last time that I <laughs> cried mm-hmm. in public transit, mm-hmm. definitely got a few stares. But I was so heartbroken, especially because I had turned down another offer from the hotel where I had done my second internship because mm-hmm. I thought I had had this first job in the pocket. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I found thing. Mm-hmm. And my student visa was set to expire too. So I had run out of time, essentially. Wow. Um, anyway, long story short is that yeah, the original chef at Ponce de Gaulle, not the sous chef, he started his own bakery and was very gracious and offered me a position at his company. But I found myself at a crossroads and I, I had to decide whether I wanted to stay in France mm-hmm. or maybe for the first time since I had moved there, consider leaving the country for other opportunities. Mm-hmm. And through that fork in the road, I got my job at the French Laundry, mm-hmm. which kind of directly led to my job at Ecriture, which (laughs) was where we got two stars. Mm. Um, And I didn't even realize how wondrous that journey was um, Mm. until I looked back on it because, believe it or not, that same year that we got two stars, the chef of the hotel where I had never gotten my work visa got two stars as well. Mm. And- So if I had stayed in Paris, if I had stubbornly insisted on my own path, I definitely maybe could have gotten there, maybe could have participated Mm -hmm. in that sort of achievement, but I definitely would not have had the same opportunities for creative and like team leadership
0: responsibilities
1: Mm. that I had in Hong Kong. So yeah, I just never cease to be amazed when I look back Mm -hmm. on – as you say, what seems like a really tortuous journey, like
0: mm. so windy and twisty. <laughs> no, no, it, it it doesn't. It doesn't feel tortuous at all. It feels beautiful and free and independent. <laughs> and I think what struck me about you choosing that verse, which, if people don't know, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Mm-hmm. commit your ways to him and he will guide your paths. Is that it yes. basically yeah. paraphrased? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think what's interesting to me about that is that in my kind of particular brand <laughs> of Christianity, <laughs> I find that that is a verse that is often used to support indecision mm-hmm. or inaction. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just waiting on God and there are times to wait. Don't, don't yeah. get me wrong. I don't want to, you know. Like if anybody's listening right now and is in kind of the maybe the space that you were in mm-hmm. when you had your visa turned away. I'm not saying that there's like a one-to-one comparison because mm-hmm, there are a thousand mm-hmm. kind of micro influences in any decision, right? Yeah, but exactly what is amazing to me is that you are such a woman of action and that this verse kind of supports that. It's like this verse gives you freedom mm-hmm. rather than it doesn't restrict you. It doesn't narrow your lane down. It's just like, well, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see where this takes us because God's going to be with me either way is kind of the way that it seems like you understand it.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Mm. And I will just say for anyone who is struggling with that tension, I mean, I see you, I feel you. I was Mm in that place myself, it was not easy. It was only with a lot of um, maturity Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I
0: have been able to approach it. And what a beautiful perspective you put. (laughs) Um, So was this always a perspective? So when you were on that public transit, were you like, well, I'm sad, but you know, I think there's a greater purpose to all this, or was that something that you could only you could only take that verse and apply it in retrospect. Mm-hmm, Using you know, mm-hmm. the words you used before. You know, tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey. You yeah, know great question.
1: Yes, for sure. <laughs> I struggled. I struggled mm-hmm. so hard to yes. reconcile that verse with my life, to mm-hmm. be very candid. Mm-hmm. And even in the months following after I had gotten my job at TFL and I was packing up to move I felt such despair because I couldn't understand in that moment wow. what the purpose was, why, like a child, why I couldn't get what I wanted, you know, wow. Yeah. I was like, you know, it, oh. it was this constant struggle, like, God, I think I know what's best for me, you know, so mm-hmm. why can't you just help me <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> get mm-hmm. it? Uh, because nothing is impossible for you. So like, why, mm-hmm. why does it seem like this is being held back? And I remember my friends threw me a going away party. And before I went to that party, I just had like a breakdown on my mountain of clothes in the apartment that oh, I was packing movies. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think every day for the first six months that I was in Yonville, mm-hmm. um, working at TFL. I thought about Paris and how much I missed it. And eventually I grew, even though I loved my job, I Mm -hmm. eventually grew to appreciate my time there and the friends and people that I met there. But it was definitely a struggle. And so, because of that, now in the present day, I force myself to maintain that kind of attitude Mm -hmm. instead of letting
0: myself still fall into that um, Mm. struggle and that tension because of it you didn't have an open heart and mind towards the possibilities is that what you're saying
1: yeah exactly and mm-hmm. because now now that i've gone through s- like a fair amount of those struggles mm-hmm. and there's been a demonstrable track record you know mm-hmm. <laughs> of my understanding not being the best way forward mm-hmm. definitively i can let myself relax a little bit and lean into that that mm-hmm. peace even during uncertainty
0: mm-hmm. I appreciate that so much. You have really just spoken directly to my heart. And I'm, (laughs) I I mean, directly. Wow, that's that's an honor. (laughs) I'm certain to everyone listening as well, because I think that really, when you look back, you know, I think of Robert Frost's poem, The Roadless taken, you know, I feel yeah. that even if a lot of us are kind of on that road that's taken by a lot of people, you know, the predictable <laughs> path, the truth is it we are constantly at those moments of decision where we can regret or wish away where we are. yes, or we can embrace and look for the purpose and where we are. I probably am not exaggerating to say every day for most of us is that Mm -hmm. decision, you know, unless we're on a vacation in Hawaii, and then maybe we can (laughs) seize the moment. (laughs) You know, so I just really appreciate that. And I'm sure that your words are completely prescient for many, many people. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for listening. (laughs) Oh, my gosh,
1: my pleasure. I do really want to give a shout out to my mom who oh. has been with me through all of this mm. um, because she saw me directly in like the depths of my struggle when I was mm. unemployed and or waiting for like multiple visas to, to different countries mm. um, or when my dreams seemed to be dashed. And mm-hmm. she would always just say to me, I see you running. I see you running You know, really hard mm. and maybe you should just Rest, because there is wow. a season, and there is a reason. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, um, <laughs> but
0: <laughs> I love that it did. <laughs>
1: for everything, and mm. you know, in my old age, she's she always says that, um, <laughs> wielding her wisdom in old age. Um, mm. In my old age, I can tell you, you know, that there there will be a reason and a season for everything.
0: So. Mm. Okay, so like I said, we're going to kind of walk through this journey, but I want like yeah. a little bit of a roadmap, uh, like a blueprint before we start. So just tell us the places that you've lived, and I am also curious how many languages you speak and where which ones you picked up along the way, because you must be able to speak French, and I know you can write Cantonese and chocolate, because I saw <laughs> you did that. So just, <laughs> just hit the high points for us, so we kind of know where we're going to go throughout the interview. Okay, sounds great.
1: Okay, sounds great. So for the languages, I speak French, Italian, and Cantonese. I can understand basic Mandarin and have been taking classes over the years to work on my comprehension and speaking ability. And lastly, I know Latin is not considered a spoken language, but back when I was a Latin nerd in high school and a classics major in college, I used to be able to read write and kind of converse in latin languages and cities they kind of go together i grew up in los angeles Mm -hmm. my parents are both from hong kong so i grew up in a bilingual household Mm -hmm. and i went to school in i should say i went to college in st louis Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in missouri and in my junior year, I studied abroad in Rome, which wow. is where I had one of my first internships in a bakery. Oh. Um, and in that internship is where I discovered that I wanted to really pursue pastry professionally. I see. Um, So right after I finished um, university, I went to pastry school in Paris, mm-hmm. where I stayed to work for a little bit before coming back to California, but this time up north in Napa Valley, to work at the French Laundry. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Hong Kong after that, but I worked in Los Angeles for a little bit at the Dominique Ancel location. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then while I was in Hong Kong, I actually wanted to rope in a working holiday in Australia while I was out in (laughs) Asia Pacific anyway, (laughs) because by this time I was getting pretty tired of Mm -hmm. moving so often, (laughs) Mm -hmm. especially like- you know, transatlantically, <laughs> trans specifically. Yeah. Um, but the timing, kind of as we spoken about, didn't work out quite as I had planned. So I ended up coming home and starting Shea Momo before going back out for my working holiday.
0: Okay. Okay. So Shea Momo is kind of your private, personal brand. Yeah. Brand. I was going to say it's not, yeah. you don't have a brick and mortar store.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Oh, okay. Got it.
0: Okay. And then you went to Australia. Is that the next stop? Yes. <laughs> okay. And the final one for now. <laughs> wow. Amazing. And now you are back in Los Angeles. Exactly. I see. Okay. There we go. <laughs> yes. It's all over the place. It's a, it's a crazy roadmap. <laughs> I love it. It's so exciting to hear. I just want to say mm-hmm. kind of the pairing of this really illustrious career that you've had, but also this real humility and graciousness and such like a youthful exuberance over what you do, over your work, (laughs) which is all beautiful and just really made me want to get to know you so well. So the first thing I knew about you is that you worked at the French Laundry, which is, I believe, a three-star, a Michelin three-star restaurant. Yeah, Okay. So I'm thinking, of course, on the outside, dream job. (laughs) This is what people wait and pray for. And for you, (laughs) incredible honor of working at the French Laundry Mm -hmm. was not actually even what you had sought for, which is, it's just an amazing thing to note that what somebody sees on the outside Mm -hmm. in no way reflects the experience of the person living it, but the fact that you had all of these possibilities open to you obviously speaks very highly about yeah. your giftedness and your qualifications because nobody just walks to a three-star Michelin restaurant and says like, hey, can I wash dishes for you? <laughs> you, know, <and laughs> you went in as a pastry chef. So tell me about your qualifications at that point yes. in your life to get that job at that point in time.
1: Yeah. So with everything in life, I feel like we always frame it as what's the big step that's going to have the most impact Mm. that will get me to where I want. But in my experience, I've found it to be so much more a series of small choices Mm. that lead to greater things. Mm. And so in my school, I had graduated first in my class, which helped me get the internship that I wanted at mm. this five-star hotel.
0: Now in with- school, you mean the pastry school in France?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I was working with a chef who now is quite a celebrity um, mm. and he was definitely a rising star at that time. Mm. And then that led to my second internship, which was with a very famous chef who is unfortunately now deceased, but oh. he had so many accolades. He was like the mm. pastry chef of the year in 2011. This hotel that he worked at was above a five star. It's, it's a very French distinction to have something above five stars. <laughs> um, <laughs> the technical term is like a it's a palace hotel. Oh okay <laughs> uh, which is funny and you know, doesn't really mean anything outside of um, <laughs> But it was at this second hotel called the Bristol that I met Daniel, who is a savory chef and one of my friends to this day. and he's British and it was a completely French only kitchen. And so his very English accent, like resonated through the kitchen Mm. and I could hear it even in the pastry kitchen, which was separate, but Mm. connected. Mm. And so it immediately caught my attention and I was like, who is this guy Mm -hmm. and how can I talk to him? And it happened to be, I think in my first week or so, I was in the, I was in the savory kitchen, which is where they have the sous vide machine and I was Mm -hmm. using it to seal some ice cream ice cream bags. This is Mm -hmm. very technical. Um, (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, he happened to come in as I was doing this like, you know, intern grunt work thing. Uh And we started talking Uh and he was telling me a little bit about his backstory. And he had just come from Per Se, which is the sister restaurant to the French Laundry. Oh, okay. And so these are the two, three Michelin star restaurants of Chef Thomas Keller, who I yes. think is the only American chef to have two,
0: three stars. I believe so, I just read that the other day doing research <laughs> for this interview. <laughs> glad glad my facts are still correct. Um, yeah. <laughs> so
1: I was so intrigued by his by his story. Mm. And we stayed in touch throughout my internship at the Bristol. And when that visa and that French opportunity fell through, I reached out to him and I asked him if he could connect me with anyone at Per Se, because at the time I was considering, I wasn't even considering California, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I was considering New York. Um, And so I looked into doing stages at Allowed Madison Park and Per Se. And so- And stages are, when you go, it's unpaid correct? Yes. It's okay. it's like a working interview, essentially, okay. where you go and spend a shift or maybe two, depending on the place. Okay. Um, and it's a really great opportunity for both parties to see if it's going to be a good okay. fit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So through that, I went to Per Se, and then through Per Se, I got connected to the French Laundry.
0: I see.
1: The thing I want to say about these quote unquote qualifications though, is that for what it's worth, Mm. kitchens, even ones in elite restaurants are very democratic and Hmm. actually very accessible, perhaps more so than in other industries. And so I think most of these places will give you a chance, at least to stage, which is like that working interview we spoke about. Mm -hmm. So in the end, I think what matters more than your qualification or any connection that you might have, which might be helpful or might not be, is how you show up once you get your foot in the door. And not just on your trial or your first day, but consistently. Like Mm -hmm. 500 days later, are you still pushing to improve? Are you still giving your best? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Because that's very palpable to the people who are on your team.
0: Mm -hmm. And can you come in as a... I mean, you couldn't come in, for instance, I used the term dishwasher before. You couldn't necessarily mm-hmm. come in as a dishwasher and then move your way up. Like you do have to have, you know, again, you took an intensive series of classes at <laughs> school.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the beauty of this industry is that are so many paths to get to the same place. And so it depends on the location. It depends on the establishment. It depends on who's in charge in that Mm. establishment. But there are definitely ways that you can come in as a dishwasher or porter or um, a busboy and Mm. kind of work your way to the position that you you want. And something that Thomas Keller said to us once in an all-staff meeting, uh, Mm. which is held annually, is that you will never be given the promotion until you have proven that you are ready for it. Mm. A, that you are actually already doing that job. (laughs) Mm. So that was always a good... A good piece of wisdom that mm-hmm. I liked to absorb and then kind of pass on to to team members as mm-hmm.
0: I trained them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think this says a lot about you and your commitment to excellence and also your the joy and pride you take in what you do, because I think there's it would be possible to be intimidated by a mm-hmm. democratic. Yeah, yeah environment or mm-hmm. an environment where you don't just put in your years and then move up and the fact that you flourish in that environment i think i think it's clear to me you can only flourish in an environment like that if you are committed to excellent work and you can only be committed to that if you really do love it
1: yeah totally mm-hmm. you have a beautiful way with words becky
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> Thinking the same about you. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um what were your responsibilities at the French laundry? What does a pastry chef do exactly?
1: For the majority of my time there, I was the chocolatier, which wow. never in my wildest dreams could I have expected or anticipated. Because as people had explained to me, even during my stage at per se, and as my chef did again before offering me the post, the chocolate station is almost like a Quote unquote reward station. And it's usually the last post that pastry chefs take before they leave. Wow. But because the French Laundry at that time was undergoing this huge renovation and expansion project, the chef was building the pastry team almost from scratch. Mm. And so this incredible opportunity popped up about a month into my time there. And he brought it up very casually. It was at the end of my workday. I was. shaking out, which is our way of saying that um, we were saying goodbye to the service team, which was staying to actually send out dinner service, um, which he was in charge of. And he said something along the lines of like, normally I wouldn't do this, but essentially I don't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to propose the chocolate station to you. (gasps) And you have to know that it's my favorite station besides the service station, but it's also the most difficult. Um, Wow. think about whether you want to take on that challenge or not. You don't have to give me an answer right away. And I'm pretty sure I kind of rudely interrupted him. And I was like, no, chef, I don't need to think about it. Just <laughs> sign me up now before you change your mind. <laughs> and um, so that was how I started kind of the rest of my tenure there. And wow, wow. Uh, I was on that station. We undertook a pretty ambitious project, which, which was to kind of like overhaul all of the bonbons. And the pro, like the chocolate program essentially is this, it's almost like a separate course or it's a, it's mm-hmm. part of the dessert service mm-hmm. that comes at the end of the meal. So there are three courses for dessert. And then at the end of those wow. three courses, you're given minardies which are kind of like petit four, just like small yeah. small snacks to have your coffee and tea with mm. or your wine. Um, <laughs> and so the bonbons have, there are eight bonbons and they each have different flavors and designs. And he wanted to completely redo it essentially. Wow. And so he gave me a lot of creative liberty, which I really appreciated. Wow. Um, a lot. And we worked really closely together to redesign it Wow. So that was the majority of my time there, and then that's incredible. Honestly, when I look back on it, i I am so grateful for having had that experience. That's amazing. Um, so,
0: as a chef, were you two things you just said are kind of coming together in my mind right now? Mm-hmm. So, I was shocked when you said that you would say goodbye to the service team before dinner yeah. started. So you weren't sitting there and making the bonbons that went out to each person. You were in more of a developmental role.
1: Yeah, exactly. So our the way our kitchen team was structured, Mm. and this is something kind of particular to restaurants. It's not Mm. necessarily the case in bakeries, but it Mm. it might be depending on on the service or Mm -hmm. the establishment. The pastry team is usually split up into a production team and a service team. So the production team makes kind of like the bulk of – the items. And then the service team is the team that's actually finishing it. That's putting it on the plate. That's sending it out to you as the diner
0: in the restaurant. I see. Can I ask if there were small choices that added up to you graduating first in your class?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Becky, you best believe that every day I was busting my butt. I, I can imagine. I mean, I had some serious competition. So the program mm. was international and I had classmates from Taiwan and Hong Kong who were very adept, like had mm. a very high natural aptitude for mm. pastry. Mm-hmm. And so actually my biggest competitor worked right next to me. She, We were numbered. Um, in class, so I was 15 and she was 16, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which was helpful in a way because it literally kept me on my toes. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was a, it was definitely a friendly competition. We were always like neck and neck. Yeah, um, <laughs> and she's wow. now very successful in her own right. She's working in Taiwan and married a French chef that she met at her own internship in Paris. <laughs> wow, <laughs>
0: living her own dream life. Oh, I haven't seen a lot of movies or anything about pastry school, but. I've seen a lot of movies (laughs) that stereotype what it's like in these high-end kitchens. I think actually, well, reality shows also, right? And so I think maybe not even necessarily high-end, but just there is a stereotype of a kitchen being a very, very difficult place to work. You know, you have very exacting chefs, a lot of yelling, I would say almost abusive language. Mm -hmm. I am curious what your experience in kitchens has been- and both from an employer standpoint and also working at a place like the french laundry the clientele of course is used to you know above five star service <laughs> i've never heard of that before that's I'm like i'm so far from five star i didn't even know there was another level <laughs> it's making me laugh <laughs> So yeah, what is what was your experience like in the kitchen and also in terms of pleasing clients? Oh, yes.
1: Okay, so everything that you describe about these stereotypes of the kitchen, unfortunately, are rooted in truth. Um, Okay. I didn't know. Yes. And so my mother and I were watching Bridgerton the other day, and because she Mm -hmm. loved it so much, I introduced her to Grey's Anatomy, which I grew up watching (laughs) and have personally revisited (laughs) several times over because it's just such outstanding television. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her that actually... If anyone from Shondaland ever listens to this, <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be great content for yeah. a television show or a movie um, mm. to make it about the kitchen because all of the ingredients pun potentially into yeah for like a a great drama are there. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You were living great drama. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: the stories that we could tell, are just um, laughable Ah. and they're hilarious. Even just to like revisit um, Mm. with, with friends and old coworkers when we get together. So yeah, all of the ingredients for like a, a wonderful
0: drama are there. (laughs) That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm
1: -hmm. What were your hours? The hours themselves were quite long. Uh, when I first joined the French laundry, we were doing like a guaranteed 13 to 14 hour workday. And in busy periods, let's say around the holidays, this could go up easily. And how many and days a week was that? This was five days. Okay. Uh, because California wow. has pretty, pretty strict oh, labor laws. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but then, you know that that wasn't always the case, uh, because when I went to Hong Kong, where labor laws are less enforced, the kind of standard there was maybe like a 16-hour base working day. Wow! So the mm-hmm. physical toil can be extreme. Yes, um, I myself had some health issues that mm-hmm. kind of grew only steadily in intensity and frequency over the years as I as I continued to like willfully. Neglect my health yeah. <laughs> because I was yeah. so consumed with my passion and my job and my dedication. And yeah. it eventually reached a breaking point where it, it was just like you need to take care of this. Uh, so I kind of bowed out gracefully, while mm-hmm. I could. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was really encouraged when I spoke to coworkers. In other countries who experienced similar things. And I had two friends just this past year who were hospitalized for septicemia and medical burnout, respectively, because of the work related conditions of our jobs. Wow. Um, Which, you know, really kind of fills me with rage. We, (laughs) we love to do what we do, but it should not come at the cost of our health or our relationships or our resources. So yeah,
0: yeah, it should be something that you can do for a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Mm exactly. Exactly. So going back to not just the hours, but you know, the drama and the stereotypes about the kitchen, did it take you time to develop a thick skin? Or is that something you had naturally, or maybe just from experiences you had younger?
1: Yeah, very insightful. So I grew up in a pretty turbulent household. The relationship mm-hmm. between my parents was not very stable. Mm-hmm. And I was the youngest of four. So I was around 10 when this when this all started to fall apart. Um, oh, okay. And unfortunately, it happened in such a developmental period of my life, but the good thing that came out of it was that I got very skilled at functioning well under stress. Mm. I could have my home life fall apart and wake up the next morning ready for school as if nothing had happened because I was just becoming this unwitting expert in compartmentalizing emotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you know, of course the the flip side of the coin of that is that I was also repressing things mm-hmm. at the same
0: mm-hmm.
1: time. Mm-hmm. Which came out eventually in my mm-hmm. adulthood, and I've been able to work on. Hence, uh, screaming since, at your mom, I'm never coming back here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going yeah, to live Paris? now. Paris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. There was, unfortunately, a lot of trauma and a lot of hurt there. And so I'm sorry. that prepared me mm-hmm. in a very uncanny way for these very adrenaline-driven, high-stress, high-pressure kitchen environments.
0: Yeah, So tell me about the decision to leave the French Laundry, and then I thought you went to Dominique Ansel from there, but in fact, you went to Hong Kong next. So tell me about that transition.
1: So I went from the French Laundry to Dominique Ansel in LA for a few months, and then when my visa was processed and the restaurant was ready to open, because they had experienced
0: a few delays... Um, in construction. Then I went to Hong Kong. And then what drew you to this new restaurant in Hong Kong? First of all, what was the name of it and what drew
1: you there? So the name of the restaurant is Mm Ecriture and my French accent is quite bad. So I haven't been practicing (laughs) any (laughs) French speakers out there, please. (laughs) Please don't give me a hard time or do, and then I can improve. But Ecriture means handwriting. Mm. There were some really serendipitous events, yeah, <laughs> uh, that really helped facilitate the journey there. Mm. And so, around the time that I was thinking of leaving the restaurant because I had been there for almost two years,
0: mm.
1: I was considering where I wanted to go next. And my parents, being from Hong Kong, had taken my family there on visits when I was a child and as I was growing up, and. I just kind of knew in my heart that I wanted to lean into my, my cultural heritage a bit mm. more meaningfully than I could in Los Angeles, mm. which admittedly still has a, like a wonderful representation yeah. from the Cantonese community and, and yeah. Asian communities in general. But I wanted to experience it firsthand at the source yeah. and just be immersed and enveloped by what had always felt like home, but different. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, um, it was very much a home culture in the sense that you were a product of it being a product yeah, of your parents.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like I could be anywhere in the world and hear someone speaking Cantonese on the street and just immediately have like a flood of this warm, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this warm feeling, like this understanding. Yeah. yeah and this yeah. So So you (laughs) just,
0: you felt like you wanted to kind of go explore these roots and this heritage.
1: Yeah, exactly. Especially, and it was kind of a full circle because growing up in a predominantly Caucasian Mm -hmm. kind of suburb of Mm -hmm. Los Angeles, granted, I was very fortunate to have close Asian communities nearby and my church was Asian, Mm -hmm. but it kind of led to this dichotomy of different spheres in my life. Like at Mm -hmm. school, it was this secular, liberal, Caucasian environment, Mm -hmm. and church was this conservative, Christian, Asian environment, and it Mm -hmm. just felt like I could never fully Mm -hmm. step into one world or the other. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) – As I grew up, I kind of rejected this in the beginning. And all I wanted to do was like assimilate and not have my, you know, cliche, stinky ethnic lunches at school, Mm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I grew up and once again matured (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and continued to visit Hong Kong and just learn more about myself and my parents, really wanted to get in touch with that side. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had had a like a fair amount of experience, obviously not, you know, extensive or exhaustive, but a fair amount of experience in Europe with internships Mm
0: -hmm. in France and
1: Italy. And I wanted to experience the continent of Asia Mm. via Hong Kong and my roots in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And so I started to put out feelers. And as I was saying before, the wonderful thing about this industry is that it is, you know, unexpectedly accessible. And so a lot of my (laughs) jobs that I've gotten have just been from cold emailing or I guess in this day and age, cold DMing (laughs) 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 chefs or Mm restaurateurs. So at that time, there was a chef that I really admired. He was a master in chocolate. And because I was on the chocolate station at TFL, um, Mm -hmm. I was really gravitating towards his work and I wanted to learn from him. And uh, lucky for me, he happened to be working at the Peninsula, which is like a very famous hotel in Hong Kong that I have really fond memories of because I went there as a kid for tea time. I would always oh, beg my parents. To that's amazing. For tea time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I cold DM'd him, and we met, and he was very receptive to my joining his team, which was great. But I had a few, there were so many moving factors yeah. um, and a few unknowns still involved because mm-hmm. I hadn't finished my time yet. I still had the better part of a year at the French Laundry left. I see. And he also wasn't sure what his team was going to look like after Lunar New Year. And oh. so we promised to stay in touch and we did. And when I was really finally starting to feel like, okay, this is, this is my time to, to leave. I reached out to him again. And in the time that had passed, he had moved to Spain with his wife. What? (laughs) Yeah. Completely out of left field. I mean, for me. So so I felt a little defeated because I was like, okay, back to square one. Um, I need to start all over on this job search if I want to be in Hong Kong. But the really wonderful thing that he did on his end was like a few weeks after he told me that he had moved and was sorry that he couldn't, you know, take me onto his team because he was starting his own personal venture, which was pretty small at the moment, and he didn't need any help. A few weeks after he sent me that email, completely unsolicited. He reached out to me and asked me if I would be interested in working with his friend who was the chef of Arcature okay. because Maxime that chef was looking for pastry chefs. I see. And I said, "Okay, <laughs> I'll think about it because mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, the original opportunity, but yeah. We'll we'll definitely consider it." And something truly amazing happened after that, which is that Maxime's mentor, who is a Super famous French chef. His name is Yannick Aleno, very acclaimed. And Yannick Aleno came to do a collaboration Mm. with the French Laundry around the time that I was getting ready to leave. Completely unbeknownst to me that they even had a relationship because I had never met Maxime and I was familiar with Yannick Aleno, but I had never met him in person until he visited. And because he was a savory chef and from a different generation, like we had never really had any mutual peers. And when I had my first call with Maxime, he told me that Yannick Alano had been so impressed with (gasps) the French Laundry's organization and efficiency, which were the very things that had impressed me too, right? And had drawn me to work there. That he knew that he could trust my background and my work experience at the French Laundry. Um, So, That really puts into perspective how these serendipitous events kind of build on each other and Mm. directed my path in a way that I could not have foreseen (laughs) or Uh. directed myself.
0: Wow. Wow. So tell me a little bit, compare and contrast a criteria a little bit to the French laundry.
1: Yes. I hope this is not an oversimplification, but it was almost like transitioning from a corporate job to a startup. Uh, Which was mm. super exciting and a lot of fun. Obviously, came with its own unique set of mm-hmm. challenges, but it was so immersive, like in all ways. Because at TFL, we were quite. Our roles had been fairly disparate and mm. specialized. Specialized, yes, mm-hmm. yes, and the efficiency of the restaurant ran on that kind of like decontation of roles. Yes. And so you you became an expert, you know, in like whatever you were doing. And then at Ecriture, there was this <laughs> very exciting opportunity to kind of overlook everything and yeah. have a, a hand in everything. And part of that was a function of my actual job title because this was my first managerial role. Uh-huh. So by nature of that you know i i was able to extend the responsibilities in more domains whereas yeah. in whereas at tfl i was just a chef de partie but also because the nature of the restaurant in that it was small it was new so we were mm-hmm. opening we were learning everything at the same mm-hmm. time together an unbelievable <laughs> um,
0: experience yeah it was
1: great to to brainstorm with people from all different parts of the world we had workers from like Italy and France and the Netherlands. We had local Hong Kongese workers. So it was really exciting. And it was just this wonderful mishmash of Mm. (laughs) cultures Mm. um, and ideas and innovation and approaches. So Mm -hmm. I would say that was probably the the biggest difference.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it just sounds like a really exciting kind of verdant, like yes, <laughs> like, yes, like fertile. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And this, you said, the hours were probably even more difficult there.
1: Yes, definitely. And so, uh, you know, part and parcel of something opening and being new is that it just demands all your attention like yeah. a baby. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to say that those chefs that I worked with on that team, uh-huh. and I've worked with really hardworking people. You know, this yeah. this industry is <laughs> difficult. Yeah. But those chefs on that team were some of the most hardworking, wow. some of the most dedicated I have ever seen in my wow. life. They rarely complained while putting in, like, sometimes – I I won't say the actual number, but just a punishing schedule. Yeah. Really, really long hours, probably averaging four hours of sleep, maybe um, spending an hour on commute uh, just one way. Wow. So. Yeah. I mean, that pure dedication is, is very inspiring at, at a mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because you're just surrounded by people who are all pushing towards the same goal and you're all in it together.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a combined labor, but it's a combined level of sacrifice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You guys really are like trench buddies.
1: that's That's, that's exactly what we called it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's a real bonding experience yeah Yeah. to to suffer together for you know a greater good yep Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there was a payoff yes tell me about that
1: so this michelin (laughs) michelin accolade the way it works is anonymous michelin inspectors Mm -hmm. uh, visit the restaurant several times. And if the restaurant consistently receives the same rating, mm.
0: it will be awarded with an official clap okay. or like that official title. So it's not like there's just this one day and it comes down to this one meal. You have to perform at this level consistently.
1: Yes, exactly. Oh,
0: I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah, mm. exactly. And so the hard part is, I mean, maybe it's not hard, but uh, the the tricky part for chefs is that because it's anonymous, the whole point is that you need to be on your A game literally all the All the time. And so after about six months, seven months of being open, we must have had several visits by that point. And sometimes we had a hunch when they Mm -hmm. were there, and sometimes we didn't. (laughs) What what
0: were your clues?
1: So they tend, anecdotally from what I hear, um, they tend to make reservations with names that are incongruous with their person, (laughs) like how they show up. So That's so
0: interesting. Like a
1: middle-aged French man who's dining alone might have registered under an email that's like, kitty you know like something that's just it just doesn't compute <laughs>
0: that's so interesting
1: yeah I mean that's like a fairly obvious example uh-huh, a fairly uh-huh. obvious giveaway but oftentimes they dine alone mm-hmm. or at most in a pair so mm-hmm. I remember every time we had a single diner, uh, we would be a little on
0: edge. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine.
1: I can imagine, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, after about six months, we had the Michelin ceremony, which is annual wow. for the Hong Kong and Macau region, because they happen in all parts of the world. And so, each region has its own ceremony at a different time of the year where they release the awards. And my chef was so nervous. This was his life goal. Like he he wanted Ekater to come straight out of the gate with two stars. And that was actually mm-hmm. something that he had spoken about to me when he was pitching the restaurant to me. Wow. And so for him to have it come to fruition and for me to witness that, let mm-hmm. alone having participated in it, mm-hmm. was incredibly rewarding. And so mm-hmm. I remember the day that it happened, we have a shared WhatsApp chat. Mm-hmm. And he he was updating us like, okay, now we're on the ferry to Macau. Okay, oh. we're popping some champagne now. Let's see what happens. Oh, my gosh, we got it. So it was like this live stream of, oh, wow, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great, great um, moment. It was, yeah. Oh, was you were so just fun. sitting on your phone, weren't you? Yeah. So the thing is that I was actually at the salon getting my hair, um, <laughs> getting my roots done because I was going to the ceremony that night. <laughs> oh. Um, whether or not, you know, we we got the awards or not. Yes. Rented,
0: right. So- you knew you were in the running. Yeah, How incredible. So-, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Again, because of the sacrifice that you put into it, it makes the victory all the sweeter, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So now you can say, who can say, like you can say, I am a two-starred pastry chef, right?
1: Yes. Okay. So
0: so how does that, how does that work?
1: (laughs) The taxonomy of this gets a little bit confusing because technically the award of the stars goes to the restaurant itself. Right, right. And In the media, uh, the reason why this is confusing is because chefs, I think for the sake of ease of communication, Mm. chefs are often referred to as starred. So Michelin starred chefs are Michelin starred pastry chefs, even though that's not technically accurate.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations. Thank you because what an honor. And I did want to ask, just as we were talking about the hours and the job description and all of that, we've kind of gone around to that a couple of times. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the job being difficult because of the hours and the physical labor, Mm -hmm. but I'm also curious how difficult it is in terms of the just I think it's exciting, but it's also intimidating. It's scary. It's exhausting to be creative and to be innovative. Mm-hmm. And how much of your job was you had to go in every day and not just chop vegetables and be on your feet, and mm-hmm. but you had to be innovative and creative on a daily basis. So as it turns out, Monique actually turned the tables right here and asked me a question that took us off into a whole conversation about creativity and productivity. My editor, Justin, is an artist himself and said he found the conversation fascinating and suggested that we turn it into a bonus episode, which we do and will be out this Friday. Make sure you hit the subscribe button right now so you don't miss it. Can't wait to talk to you then. You know, we have talked a lot about how difficult the restaurant industry is. And I think that I I think that's great. I don't think that we should gloss over that. And we haven't gotten a chance to talk much about your childhood, and I don't think that we will. But I would love to know, I guess I would just like to take a moment to say, Mm -hmm. are there any people or any kind of prevailing philosophies? that had just an incredible influence on you for the good. So whether that is someone from your childhood who taught you to love cooking or baking or whether it was a particular mentor Mm -hmm. at one of these hard sacrificial stops along the road, is there anyone that you would really like to share Mm -hmm. what they taught you, how they inspired you?
1: Yeah, I... We'll start this off with a little rib at my mother (laughs) 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 because I grew up, just to talk about like the childhood part of it. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a home where we did not have unhealthy food and Mm -hmm. we were not allowed soda or processed snacks. We didn't even have butter or flour. And wow, not even sugar in the house. Um, Wow. So I grew up with a childhood almost devoid of. Baked goods. And so wow. I like to give my mom a hard time about it and say that my career is all an act in overcompensation, <laughs> which is not really true, but um, it's just a funny, a funny little note. And kind of extending from there though, my mom in particular, I think like most Cantonese or maybe even more broadly Asian parents never really said in like explicit words. Let's just say they never expressed their love with explicit words Mm -hmm. or phrases like Mm -hmm. we love you or I Mm -hmm. "I love you. And instead it was expressed more through this unrelenting provision of food Mm. which came directly from the heart. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that It was a love language until I got older and could understand (laughs) that that was her way of making sure that I felt loved. Mm -hmm. And so that, in terms of my career, resonates profoundly because I take so much joy out of bringing people happiness through food. So in a way, I'm not any different than my mother. Mm -hmm. I've just chosen to do it in a professional manner. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that.
1: And in terms of mentors, oh gosh, where do I even begin? I think each chef along the way that ever gave me a chance to work with him or her shaped me and who I am today as a chef in some way. And we won't have time to go into detail about each of their philosophies and respective impacts in this episode, but I do just want to mention them by name as a sort of thank you. So I'll start chronologically with Yann Couvreur and Laurent Genin in Paris. Thomas Keller and Elwyn Boyles at the French Laundry, both of whom we've actually spoken about a fair amount today. But just to clarify, Elwyn was the executive pastry chef of fine dining for the entire Thomas Keller restaurant group, and he was my direct supervisor at TFL. And to this day, he's still the first person that I WhatsApp when I have a question about a pastry technique or team management. So I really value the closeness of that relationship. Then there were Leanne Tolentino and Jennifer O oh at the Dominique Cell location in Los Angeles and Maxime Gilbert in Hong Kong. I feel like I'm giving an Oscar speech, maybe one day, when the Deland culinary drama is sweeping the awards scene.
0: So tell me about what you're, you're, you're very much using your time and your gifts now to show love. Mm hmm. Both to your clients, but also to, you know, this cause that you're committing to. So tell me a little bit about what led you to this fundraiser and tell us about it and how we can support it. Yay. Yes, definitely. So as I mentioned
1: a little bit before, I consider myself very blessed to have grown up in a city as multicultural and diverse as Los Angeles that being said, I was always acutely aware of race and its implications because of inequities that were always there, but have only recently come so starkly to light. And those inequities might manifest differently in the Black communities versus the Asian American communities, but they're all ultimately part of the same system. So that was the water in which I was swimming as I grew up. And then when I became an adult and started to live abroad, I came to the sobering realization that no matter which country or continent I had moved to or culture I was working in, discrimination, especially racial discrimination, was sadly one of the very few universal constants. And as I've gotten older, I've learned how dangerous silence or passivity is and how action, especially when conducted in solidarity, can be a driver of change. So I really wanted to make sure that I was seizing the opportunity to put my skills and experience at the service of contributing to this effort to dismantle the system? So it actually came to my attention when I was in Australia last year. Mm -hmm. And around the time of the Black Lives Matter movement in the summer, there was an Instagram account that started called Bakers Against Racism. Yeah. And they were holding this massive bake sale by way of uniting individual bakers across the country and the world even who were hosting bake sales and donating the proceeds from those sales to Black Lives Matter organizations. And I was knee deep in my (laughs) work at Rollers at the time because our business was booming from the pandemic. Mm. And I was far away from home and had no means to hold an individual bake sale, Mm. but I really wanted to participate. And so I just kept that on the back burner of my mind. And when I came back home, I started doing wedding cakes for friends and colleagues who were getting married. Ah. And I started donating some of my proceeds, proceeds. Yeah. from those sales to like local Black Lives Matter organizations. And then because California has been going through quite a few lockdowns, mm-hmm. <laughs> um,
0: yeah.
1: the most recent one took out some weddings that I was supposed to make cakes for. And okay. I had free time to finally do this bake sale that I had been wanting to do since the summer. And so I currently am selling cinnamon roll kits that you can bake at home. And Mm -hmm. I'm donating 100% of the profits to Black Lives Matter in LA and also Colors of Change.
0: Um, Wonderful. Mm, Thank you. Okay. Last but not least, can yeah. we talk about my croissant? Yes, failure? oh my god, I'm dying to. I'm looking at the photos now. Please. Well, they're a little. Um, like I said, I'd give them like a six and a half out of ten. I mean, listen, <laughs> they all went in a couple hours. That wasn't a problem in my family, <laughs> but they didn't quite achieve the height that they are meant to achieve. Like they look amazing in the flat lays. And I think the fact that they have so much definition is kind of a sign of their failure. (laughs) That's probably not the right (laughs) word, but really good croissants, like they billow up so much that you can't really quite tell the spirals quite as distinctly as Oh, I see what you mean. You know what I mean? And you can see inside, I mean, they got some layers, but they're not they look a little squashed, you know, they don't look pillowy quite exactly. <laughs> I think where I started to go wrong is I think it was on the second turn mm-hmm. that it it happened like in just a matter of moments. I was just mm-hmm. rolling, and then all of a sudden some of it stuck to the rolling pin, and then I kind mm. of like rolled again, and then more did. And I was like, Oh, let me just call it quick. And I folded <laughs> it up. I think that's the thing, is because these layers are so thin when you do that you're kind of like that's it you've kind of ripped away a couple Mm -hmm. layers already Mm -hmm. that happened on the third turn maybe on like another side and then to roll out the final time i turned it on the good side you know because it kind of kept so i turned it on the good side but then when i cut them into the triangles like you like you showed in the videos Mm -hmm. it was again stuck on the bottom Mm, So mm -hmm. I put them, okay, don't get, I put them in the freezer for five minutes. Oh, that's fine. It is. Okay. Cause I was thinking, okay, if it firms up enough, then I'll be able to get it off. But I just, I kind of had to use a scraper. So then it had like wrinkles and it just, you know, you just, you took those long, thin triangles. And when you showed stretching it, those extra four centimeters, I mean, you just, it it was like this beautiful, smooth, stretchy dough. <sighs> and mine had kind of just gotten to the point that it was like a little sticky, a little crusty maybe mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. on the top. And I'm just yeah. not sure. As soon as it started to rip, that's when it started to go wrong. Yeah. Is there anything I could have done at that point? What would you have done differently?
1: Okay, gotcha. Lamination, first of all, is very technical, very difficult. Yes.
0: <laughs> One of the more
1: possibly most advanced besides chocolate processes in pastry. And so doing it at home is on another level because as I always say, humans are great and all, but we're not machines. And so we don't have that mechanical dough eater that you normally would have in a bakery setting to produce this lamination. That makes and, me feel so much better. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> so you're not sitting there rolling Oh my gosh.
1: No, in a, in a okay. normal bakery, we would have a machine that just passes it through, you know, a few times, gets it down to like the thickness that you want and it's easy peasy, but okay. at home you have to rely on your arms and your <laughs> rolling pin and your refrigerator and your freezer and, you know, all yeah. this extra flour. And so first of all,
0: really commend your <laughs> my efforts. <laughs> yes, yes. It was really fun. It was really fun to try. And I don't feel like I said, I mean, I look at them and I do, I think realistically you'd call them about a six and a half, maybe out of 10, but I don't Becky, feel like ashamed look, of that effort or anything. <laughs> these look better than what
1: I've seen sold in bakeries. <laughs> I'm completely that. honest. No, I'm serious. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> and, I don't say things to be nice. Like Aww. you can ask anyone that I've ever worked with. I don't say things just to be nice. <laughs> so, truly, I mean that. And then, in terms of your difficulties that you encountered, great instinct that you had to throw it in the freezer. And I think in the future, if you or anyone, comes across this um, tendency of the dough to rip. It's because of the gluten formation in the dough, which has developed from our lamination process, which is why in the recipe, we want to mix that dough as little as possible Mm
0: -hmm. because we
1: don't want any gluten formation to make our life more difficult later. So when you come to a point where it feels like the dough is almost resisting you Mm -hmm. and it's like snapping back or it, it just won't, lengthen or extend you know the way that you want it to the best thing to do is just to let it chill out literally just let it rest Mm. and maybe put it in the fridge for 20 minutes say Mm. and then start again and -hmm. if it's still resistant or you still find it like wanting to tear let it rest for another 15. Okay
0: so So, as soon as that first roll happened I should have been like bam done put it back in. Yeah just let it just let it hang out. Yeah.
1: And Yeah, it is a very long process because of this, especially at home, but worth it. Worth it. Yes.
0: Yes. Okay. Okay. No, that sounds, that's, that's what I should have done. That's what I should have done. But, and <laughs> no, i mean, in great instinct. Let me just ask you one other question about something you just said, because yeah. I never used one, like I never even took out the flour canister as an option to okay. add because I was concerned if I did that, it would just make them too tough and weighed down. And I noticed in your videos, you never used any extra flour. So was that a mistake? Should I have been kind of like greasing the skids with that a little bit? No, honestly, Becky, the
1: more you speak, the more I am learning how you have great instincts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very instinctual person. And you are completely correct. There should not be too much flour because especially for things like croissants, they show the difference in the end product. So Mm -hmm. if you have too much flour, it will definitely become kind of crusty and dense and not exactly what you want. But there is a careful balance between dusting your surface just enough and potentially your rolling pin, depending on your Mm -hmm. conditions. And I am the biggest proponent of using the least amount of flour possible, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I think you've seen in the videos. But Just
0: use enough where you don't have any sticking. I mean, the thing that's amazing about croissants is like, there's no going back. I mean, once that (laughs) happens, it happens, you know? And so I think as... As soon as I saw it taking that like left hand turn, I probably should have been like, okay, like, it's all a balance, right? Like, okay, well, you got to throw yeah. a little like I shouldn't have been yes, so rigid yes. about you know, more, <laughs> no more flowers. So I, I didn't have to do toss down handfuls. But like you said, even a light dusting. So yes. awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome. Well, this has been fun. And just tell me real quick, are you going to business school?
1: Okay so I am currently applying and okay. I will find out in the coming weeks I guess or in the next And week. is this to open your own
0: bakery or are you doing something totally different? Yeah no no it is. It oh is. I'm I, I just can't wait to see where you go. <laughs> <laughs> you. I'm so proud of you and excited for you and just oh, so mutual. so thankful that you came on. I I really I I never meant to take so much time of yours, and I no, no, no. This hope it's okay, and yet I still wish I could talk to you for another two hours. So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it feels like.
0: So yeah, I will be sending along more pictures. I had the best time in the world photographing these, and I will. Let's see. This will be like mid to late. March that this will come out. Um, So yeah, so just tell everyone real quickly where they can find you and how they can support Shea Momo.
1: Okay, perfect. And just as a a closing word, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. This is actually my first podcast. I'm so honored.
0: (laughs) Oh, Monique, it was absolutely completely my honor. Truly, truly, truly. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And then in terms of where to find Shea Mo, as I like to call it, yeah. <laughs> best places to reach me are on the website, so com, mm-hmm. And I'm the most active on Instagram. The handle is at Momo and on YouTube which is the same username.
0: (laughs) Yes. Wonderful. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I just need to say thank you one more time, Monique. I really appreciate your time. I deeply admire and appreciate you. And again, I just want to sum it up again by just saying the contrast between your successes and your accomplishments in your career so far and your just... Humility and gentleness and kindness—it's amazing to see those two things come together in a person, and it's really, it's really beautiful, and it makes you a very attractive person. So, thank you, Monique. I don't—I don't even
1: know what to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) A loss, (laughs) because that is a lot about how I feel about you.
0: Oh, oh, that's super kind of you. So, okay, we'll have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful afternoon, and we will absolutely be in touch. Okay. Yes, sounds great. All right, take care, Monique. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you again, Monique, for your insights, honesty, and vulnerability. You can find all of Monique's contact information on my website, thestoriedrecipe.com, along with her croissant recipe. Again, make sure you subscribe to tune in this Friday to Monique's bonus episode. And of course, so much great content coming up. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, will you please share on social media, forward it to a friend or family member, or easily leave a review by going to lovemypodcast.com slash the storied recipe. Again, that's lovemypodcast.com, the storied recipe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you Friday. And until then, have a great week, my friends.